I've told you before, if you've been here for a while, you've heard me say it. If you're newer, it's just the way we need to set up this morning. When I was a child, I would get so excited on Christmas Eve that I really didn't know how I was going to get to sleep. I'm sure there's none here who know that experience. I'm sure I'm standalone in that category. But for a couple of weeks in advance, I'd be watching as the presents would stack up under the tree, and I would just sit and stare at them for long periods of time, wondering what might be inside there. By Christmas Eve, my imagination had run wild, and I just wanted to rip open the gifts and and, and see what was in them. I truly wondered how I was going to make it till morning, and, and, and my, my parents, my mom sitting right here, wouldn't let us open any gifts before Christmas morning. I, I'm, I'm over it now. I've talked through it, and uh, I'm okay, I believe. But they also had a rule, my parents, that you couldn't get up until 7 o'clock in the morning on Christmas Day. I remember one year I woke up at 6.03, And I knew that there was no way that I was going to get back to sleep that morning. So I thought about it, and I thought, you know, if I count to 60, 57 times, it should be 7 o'clock. And so I proceeded to do that. I started counting to 60 and keeping track of how many times I did that and trying very hard to have a full second pass between each number And when I finished, all 57 times, I looked at the clock thinking it might be time to get up. It was 621. (laughs) There's nothing quite like Christmas morning, is there? There's little in human experience that fuels anticipation and excitement like waiting for a, a, a gift. Gifts that you can see that they're there, but you don't know what they are. And there's nothing that magnifies that anticipation like waiting a long time for a highly anticipated gift. I like the way Christmas is celebrated. I'll say that in just a quick word. I know it can seem too commercial, but Christian families, we can do better than that. The anticipation of a wrapped gift being unwrapped, however, is such a good way to identify with what Israel was facing as they waited for God's gift of the Messiah. Build that into your Christmas celebrations because in that, we can really identify even more with the stories of of Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and, and Simeon. Israel had been promised a deliverer. They'd been promised a king who'd reign in perfect righteousness and holiness. And as time advanced, the excitement of the anticipation just multiplied. We were talking about it as Zechariah was in the temple for his once-in-a-lifetime priestly experience, and the people were outside praying, almost certainly calling to God to fulfill his promise of a coming Messiah. And then while inside... God began to answer the prayer, and his word to Zechariah is, your prayer has been answered, and it had to be the answer to so many different prayers, what the angel was about to reveal to him. 
but not least to the prayers that were going on right outside the, the temple, right on the other side of the walls. Zechariah heard from the angel Gabriel that the forerunner promised to come in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way for Messiah. That forerunner would be born to him and to his wife in their old age. Once again, the plan and purpose of God advancing, depending on the impossible happening. The same thing with Abraham and Sarah, remember? God had made a promise to Abraham that he would be a blessing to all the families of the earth through his seed. And he's an old man approaching 100 and his wife approaching 90 and they still haven't had a child. God had to miraculously intervene in order for his promises to be kept. And he did so again in like manner here with Zechariah and with Elizabeth. Several months later, Mary and Joseph each heard their part in the story also from angels. Mary explicitly from Gabriel himself, probably Joseph also, but that's not made clear over in Matthew's gospel. And then on the actual night of Jesus' birth, the shepherds heard it from an angel chorus. So we talked about Friday night. What an amazing scene that was. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Do you remember what we said? That, that word could mean the full number of heavenly hosts. So can you imagine all of the angels of heaven showing up in a shepherd's field outside of Bethlehem on this night and what that must have been like. The angel chorus announced to the shepherds that Christ had arrived. He'd been born in Bethlehem just like the prophet Micah had foretold. The excitement really was now at a frenzied level and as the next few hours played out, we're told by Luke in his gospel, just a, a, a summary statement that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her hearts. In her heart, the, the, the birth of the promised Messiah through a Nazarene peasant girl. And then Luke records that the shepherds returned home after coming and seeing the child, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. And as Mary and Joseph then moved through the next few days with their perfect little son, they meticulously observed the law. Can you imagine that the, anyone could have ever been more attentive to the details of purification after childbirth than Mary and Joseph were knowing who this child was? They observed the law according to Leviticus 12, and all of the details are spelled out there, circumcising Jesus on the eighth day and fulfilling the responsibilities of Mary's purification following childbirth. That's referred to here by Luke in verse 22. Mary was supposed to, according to the law, according to Leviticus 12, she was supposed to bring a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and then a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. That's what the law prescribed in Leviticus 12, verse 6. But you know what's interesting? In Leviticus 12, verse 8, an exception is given. Verse 8 says, but if she cannot afford a lamb, 
then she would take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering. She could substitute a bird for a lamb if she needed to, if family circumstances dictated it. These are the verses then that Luke references here. In verse 24, what did Mary and Joseph arrive at the temple carrying? A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. They had a couple of birds for the sacrifices, for the purification of the mother of God. Mary and Joseph's sacrifice exposed their poverty once again. This is the family, though, to whom God entrusted the long-promised Messiah. Then comes our story from this morning. Verse 25, there was a man in the temple when they arrived for the circumcision that morning. His name was Simeon. He had been anticipating God's gift to Israel for what appears to have been a very long time. We don't know that for certain. The text doesn't say that. But the fact of what Simeon said when he started to bless the child, it sounds like he's an old man. And then the next person we meet, Anna, very old lady. So we tend to think of Simeon as an old man because of that, but he may not have been. Still, that for which he had been waiting, that which he had been anticipating was now taking place. He'd been anticipating God's gift to Israel for a long time. And somehow, God's Spirit made it known to him that he should go into the temple that day. And he did. He entered the temple that day. The Spirit had already made known to him that he would not die until he had seen the fulfillment of the promise that he was waiting for. That's really good. The Spirit of God doesn't usually give indicators that show when the plan and purpose of God is going to play out. Jesus himself said regarding the end times, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the Son, only the Father. But here, Simeon, a faithful Israelite, about whom we know nothing more than what we learn here, had been told by the Spirit of God, I'm going to let you see this before you die. Can you imagine being Simeon? You know, apart from the assignment of, of Mary and Joseph and probably Zechariah and Elizabeth in this whole drama that Luke is taking so many verses to tell, Simeon's experience has to be one that captures our hearts and our imaginings precisely because we don't know who he was. But yet something about his relationship with the Lord made him worthy of that sort of thing. I'm not suggesting Simeon earned that by his faithfulness to God. That's just not the way it works. God blesses by his grace certain servants. Mary didn't have anything to do with becoming the mother of God. Elizabeth didn't have anything to do with becoming the mother of John the Baptist. Simeon was a recipient of God's grace. But it's a reminder to us of what the grace of God can mean to us. What it can accomplish, Simeon is told by the Spirit of God, God has decided to let you see this before you die. 
And now we know the story and have rejoiced. Essentially, what God said to Simeon is, you're going to make it through Christmas Eve to Christmas morning. All the anticipation of looking for the gift, I'm going to let you see it before you die. It was the Spirit then who moved Simeon to go into the temple that day to meet up with Mary and Joseph. And when he saw them, he took up the baby Jesus in his arms and he blessed him and he said, and this is our text for this morning, no outline, just walking through it, brief statement from Simeon. All this time, and this is all he said. You can respect Simeon for that as well, can't you? He took the baby Jesus in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. This is what makes us think he was old. He's saying, I can die now. I've seen it. But more than that, the language that Simeon used, the language that Luke uses to record it here, is like saying, I'm a slave who's now been freed. Simeon isn't saying, oh, I got to die now. I was so hoping the gift to Israel wouldn't come for a while yet because when it comes, my life is over. Woe is me. Is that what you get from Simeon? No. My life is finished. I have seen everything you can see in this life. I'm done. Father, take me into your presence. I'm ready to go. That's Simeon. That's what we're hearing. That's what we're seeing. He's saying, Lord, I can now depart in peace. I can now enter your presence. That which you told me I would experience, I've experienced. Here it is. I can die now. But more than that, I am freed. I'm freed from all of that which this little child was promised to deliver me from. The work hadn't been accomplished yet. Does Simeon even know what this little baby means? What this baby is going to grow up and do? But he knew that the Christ child had come. And that somehow God's salvation is wrapped up in this little bundle of life. And I've seen it and it's arrived. And I'm good. And I'm a slave who's been freed according to your word, to finish verse 29. And why? Here's that four clause. Why can I go now and depart in peace, according to your word? For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Right? Jesus has come and you've announced it with all the angels of heaven. You've done it in the view of all peoples. And here's what he is, a light. He's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The two prongs of the great salvation that was promised through Abraham is now being accomplished through Jesus and Simeon, the appointed observer of this reality, is celebrating it there in the temple a light for revelation to the Gentiles 
and for the glory of your people Israel. Then from there we see that Mary and Joseph marveled at this moment, and Simeon blessed them as well, verses 34 and 35. But really, our focus this morning is on, on the identification here of Jesus as light. Light for revelation to the Gentiles, light for the glory of his people Israel. He is light. He is the light. We were just reading about the light in John chapter 1. John's talking about it in the same way. The light came into the world and the darkness couldn't overcome it. The, lightness, the light has come into the world and illumined the darkness. But it's illumined the darkness only for those who embrace the light and who come to the light. Unfortunately, in this world, you can still flee into the darkness, even though the light has come. So our focus is on Jesus as the light. The light by which non-Jews, think about this, the light by which non-Jews or Gentiles, as Simeon calls them here, could see that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was God from God, light from light, true God from true God, just as the Nicene Creed promised. God has come into the world in the form of this little baby and light has entered the darkness. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, a light to help the non-Jews see that the God of Abraham is the God of salvation for all the nations and through him all the nations will be blessed. But it's not just a message to the nations. Israel is the one that's been anticipating this for so long right? Israel is the one that was like a child on Christmas Eve looking forward to Christmas morning. So not only is this little baby a light for revelation to the Gentiles, but he's also a light for the glory of Israel. He's the fulfillment of all that they'd been promised. He's the fulfillment of all that they had hoped for. This salvation for all the world had arrived. The seed of the woman bruising the serpent's head. The seed of Abraham blessing all the families of the earth. This was now happening and Israel's glory had arrived. This was God's glory come. Just as Isaiah the prophet had written in the passage that's very familiar to us because it's sung in the Messiah annually celebrating the birth of Christ. Isaiah chapter 60. Listen to the themes. It's as though Simeon is reflecting on Isaiah 60 as he utters his blessing recorded in this text. As he sings his song, Arise, shine, for your light has come, wrote Isaiah, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. And oh, it did, didn't it? Thick darkness covered the people. It still does. Those that don't embrace the light. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you. Isaiah writes, and the glory of the Lord will be seen upon you. This is amazing. It's not just among you. 
It's not as though this little baby came as sort of an objective light and we can look at it and appreciate the light and then turn around and walk away into the darkness. When we trust what this little baby has been sent to accomplish, the light comes upon us. It's a light that is birthed within us. That's the new birth that Jesus would eventually teach about. The enlightening of the Holy Spirit of God doing the work that, that Jesus secured in the hearts of all who believe. The light doesn't just come in among you. The light comes upon you. This is like the ironic benediction where the countenance of God smiles upon you with peace. The Lord will arise upon you and the glory will be seen upon you. And that's just what happened. And then look where Isaiah goes next in verse 3 of Isaiah 60. And nations shall come to your light. This is for the nations. And nations shall come to your light. It's the whole world. It's all peoples. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Simeon is saying, this day has come. This day has arrived in Jesus. And I got to see it. I'm ready to go. I am ready to go. My friends, I need to ask you this morning, have you received this light? Has the light which came into the world illumined your soul? Have you trusted in Christ by faith? That's just a metaphor. That light coming upon you, light coming within you, it's not some mystical, Gnostic experience. It's actually the saving work that the Spirit of God applies to us according to God's sovereign will and purpose. It's it's the Spirit of God making true in us that which Jesus did. Jesus lived a sinlessly perfect life that we could never live. That's what he came to do because we couldn't. And he died the death of judgment. We were sentenced to die. If we did this ourselves, we are gone forever. But Jesus, come in the flesh, could die the sentence of death that we could not afford to die. He died as a substitute for all who believe. And then this Jesus, according to the eternal plan and foreknowledge of God, rose again from the dead in victory over sin and death. He paid the penalty for our sin, enabling us to be cleansed and reconciled to God and adopted into his family, and then he rose again from the dead, defeating forever sin and death for any who have faith in him. Any who will trust him and say, I will trust in your death to absorb the penalty of God's wrath against my sin knowing that I can't pay for it myself. I'm helpless in this transaction. Simeon is reflecting that. Isaiah is telling it. Friends, this morning, we're embracing that. That's the message we embrace at Christmas. That is the truth that Simeon's song puts in front of us. If you have received Christ as Savior then you glory in this day. Amen? We glory in the celebration 
of Christ come in the flesh. And the retelling of this story every year, the only possible solution to our sin having been accomplished. We rejoice in the forgiveness of sins and we recognize that in the coming of Christ to earth, true joy has dawned in this world. Joy to the Lord, to the world. The Lord has come. But friends, this morning, if you have not received him, if you have not trusted Christ as Savior, today is the day. How can we read these things written over thousands of years looking forward to a day that actually arrived, was accomplished, was confirmed, not just by what happened that day as angels testified to it from heaven, but as that little child grew and did exactly what it was promised that he would do? How else do you expect to be reconciled to God than that? I hear people talking in despising terms about the exclusivity of Christianity. Christians are so arrogant. How can they believe that only one person can reconcile us to God? There's got to be another way. Friends, as soon as Another Messiah shows up in fulfillment of all of the promises of Scripture for thousands of years leading up to the time of his birth. When another Savior is born to whom all the angels testify to the lowest of the low wherever that Savior is born, but it better be in Bethlehem. As soon as another grows up living a sinlessly perfect life and preaching the kingdom of God and refuting the religious leaders of the day, dies a sacrificial death as a substitute, rises again from the dead and then ascends to the Father in vindication of all that he came to accomplish. When that happens a second time, there will be another way. There will be a second way, but you know what? That's not going to happen. That is not going to happen. Why? It doesn't need to. We can complain about anything. We look at Christianity and say, "Ah, too exclusive. But we have two or three or four options for salvation. Well, how do you choose? I wish there was, can somebody make it simple? Can't we just get one way? We can complain about anything. God has provided a way. The light has come into the darkness. Have you embraced the light this morning? You can do so right where you're seated. Know the truth of the confession, joy to the world. The Lord has come. This child, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing. This is God's solution. Praise be to God. Amen? And here is where I share my gift to you. We're finished this morning. (laughs) I'm not going to preach any longer than this. (laughs) Simeon gave us a brief word. I will give us a brief word this day. A little briefer than normal. Not entirely as brief as Simeon's, but... Hey, I had to explain what he said, right? So Merry Christmas to you all. We are going to finish this morning by remembering the Lord's death and communion. 
and rejoicing in the salvation that is ours through him. And folks, it is our prayer that through this Advent season, right up now through Christmas, and now day two of Christmas, that you would know the fullness of joy that comes through saving faith in Christ and that you would delight to share that with all who hear. Pray with me now, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you in Jesus' name for all that you have done for us in him. You are a great and glorious God and you have provided salvation for all who believe and we rejoice in that, Lord God. We, we are amazed at the salvation that is ours in Christ and what an amazing thing, how long it was foretold and then how no part of the actual development, no part of the gift was disappointing to us who received it but we continue to marvel that the greatness of salvation promised is exceeded only by the reality of salvation fulfilled. But, oh, Father, we are not yet in your presence for all eternity. Your salvation, though secured, is not yet fully and finally delivered. Help us, Lord God, by the same Spirit who awakened us to our need for a Savior and then birthed faith in him within us. Strengthen us, I pray, to endure and to walk faithfully every day of the way until we, like Simeon, are welcomed into your presence. Help us to be faithful and help us to know the joy of this salvation even in the midst of the continuing darkness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.